Hello and welcome to episode three of the HSC Biology Podcast. Today on the podcast, we are going to be going through the inquiry question, how important is it for genetic material to be replicated exactly? Looking at the processes of mitosis and meiosis, and then going through the Watson and Crick DNA model, including nucleotide composition, pairing, and bonding. Enjoy. Prepper mitosis happens in the interphase, then we move to prophase. Spindles start to shape, chromatids condense as the bubble breaks down. Yeah, I'm talking membrane. Metaphase chromatids meet at the heart, anaphase chromatids are put apart. See the face forming a membrane will start, while the cell starts to pitch back apart. Cytokinesis, the cyclist through, that's when cytoplasm is split up in two. Meiosis is alive, except it happens twice. All right, so a bit of a different intro today, and that is because that is one of my favorite ways to teach students about the processes of mitosis and meiosis. So this is from uh, YouTube by a guy named Julian Turner, or XY Cell Life, and uh, I'll play that whole song at the end of this podcast, but it's just a uh, apparently a, a student project he had where he had to uh, make up some extra credit, and so he made this rap, and uh, he's... Uh, professor apparently passed him i don't know how much truth to that there is but that's the story anyway all right well let's get on with it all right so as always it's important to address that inquiry question which is how important is it for genetic material to be replicated exactly and the answer to that is it's very important but you need to understand the processes first so with the first dot point it says modeled the processes involved in cell replication including but not limited to mitosis and meiosis and then dna replication using watson and crick um, now, before we understand the processes of mitosis and meiosis, we probably should go through the cell cycle first. So mitosis is the end phase of the cell cycle. And you can think about the cell cycle like everything that your cell does all the time before it replicates and becomes a new cell. And then this process goes on. So it's all of the components, not just the mitotic phase. It's the duplication phase. So looking at the cell cycle, you can imagine it like a loop and it just continuously goes around as we get new cells. And the beginning phase of that loop is the G1 phase or the cell growth phase. So here we get the cellular contents being, uh, duplicated like the mitochondria or the ribosomes or the uh, endoplasmic reticulum um, all the main components that make up your cell are being duplicated apart from the dna and the chromosomes okay so the dna isn't being replicated in the g1 phase the cell is just preparing everything it's getting bigger in preparation for the s phase which stands for synthesis and this is where the DNA is going to be replicated. And we're going to go through the replication process in a minute. But for now, let's just remember that this is the second phase of the cell cycle, S for synthesis, and the chromosomes are now being duplicated. We're making a copy of all of our DNA, okay? Now... <clears throat> Now, up next, we have the G2 phase. And so we've had G1, S, now G2. And this is the phase where we do our proofreading or error checking. And we have enzymes that analyze the new chromosomes that we have now duplicated. And they have the ability to terminate the cycle if need be. So this is where we have uh, mutations and things that can go wrong. And we do have ways to stop that from continuing through in our somatic cells. Uh, which is very important. So we can stop this process. 
So G1, S and G2 are all part of the cell cycle and then we have mitosis which is next. Now G1, S and G2 are also called interphase. Okay, so when I go through the process of mitosis, all of these things happened before mitosis started. And these often take quite a bit longer than the mitosis process, but they are different in every animal. So bacteria sometimes don't have a G2 phase. They don't proof check. They actually want mutations. They have a, a very high um, proportion of coding genes in their um, DNA. And this is important because they mutate rather than have variability. So depending on what you're going to get in the HSC, again, I can see this question being a stimulus where you're provided with a cell cycle of some sort. And you're asked to analyze the details. And keeping in mind, this is the cell cycle for a human and the times and everything can change depending on the animal. So just be aware that it's not always going to be these exact phases and to use the stimulus you're provided with. All right, let's talk about the next part of the cell cycle, which is mitosis. And the way that I often teach mitosis is to remember the acronym PMAT. Uh, P-M-A-T, PMAT, um, and it's actually easier to chuck an I on the front of that and have I-PMAT, uh, not the best acronym, but it does help you remember, and the I, remember, we just went through starts for interphase, which includes G1, S, and G2, um, so I-P-MAT um, is where we're going to start. So with mitosis, we have those four main phases, which is prophase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. And a few things happen that is different at each phase. This is most likely and has been in the past a visual stimulus where you're asked to analyze aspects of this process. So you really need to get um, a, a process chart or a flow chart or a diagram that you're used to seeing that includes all of the things I'm about to talk about. And if they don't, you need to draw it on or annotate it somewhere so you understand. All right. So during prophase, the chromosomes condense. So a lot of people see chromosomes and they think of that famous X shape. But in fact, your chromosomes are usually in a less condensed state. They are usually found as chromatin, which is still wrapped up DNA around these histones. And it's semi-condensed, but it's not fully condensed. When we see those X patterns, the familiar chromosome, that's actually when it's completely condensed. Everything is folded up as tightly as it can go. Um, and that's where we actually find it a lot easier to take photographs of them. And that's why when you hear the word chromosome, you think of that X. But in reality, your chromosomes are actually sort of... Uh, in long strings for most of the time in your cell while they are being duplicated. Now, when you have that fi that final X pattern, you've got to remember that each side of that chromosome is called a chromatid, and those chromatids are identical. The one on the left and the one on the right are identical. It means that all the alleles and all the genes on the left are the same as all the alleles and all the genes on the right, and keeping in mind that you have one from mum and one from dad. So you're going to have two chromosomes, both of which have an identical chromatid. So the reason we don't call them two separate chromosomes here is because they're joined by a centromere, a point at which both chromosomes are connected. And that's how we count chromosomes, which is important to remember again when we go through the processes of mitosis and meiosis, because the number of chromatids change and the number of chromosomes can change. Okay? You've really got to get that in your head and work out um, which ones are identical because quite often that comes up when we do crossing over in meiosis. So during prophase, those 
that chromatin, that long stringy stuff starts to condense and we see the famous X pattern take shape. The nuclear pore, the place where the uh, chromosomes exist inside that nucleus, starts to break down. So we start to see some gaps, some, some holes appearing usually on the diagram. It's drawn as the dotted line. Now also during prophase, we will quite often see something called a centriole that is drawn. And on a diagram, you can think about it like a little asterisk. And there are two of them, one at either end of the cell, which is important for the next phase. Now, during the next phase, which is metaphase, those centrioles, again, at either end of the cell, will start to grow these long tubules, kind of like uh, pipes, um, solid strings that are going to attach to the chromosomes. And the chromosomes themselves are going to line up across the middle. So metaphase, middle, one of the easier ones to remember. One key feature about the middle and the way they line up here is that they line up in a single line, which is very important. When I talk about meiosis, I will talk about the fact that, about why that is different. But in mitosis, remember, they line up in a single line of chromosomes down the length of the cell. And either end are those centrioles, which are putting out spindles or spindle fibers, which are going to pierce the chromosomes right on the centromere, that point that joins both chromatids together to form the chromosome. That spindle fiber is going to pierce or grab onto each one of the chromatids, which brings us to the end of metaphase and starts the next phase, which is anaphase. Those spindle fibers, which are attached to the centromere, are going to pull the chromosomes apart, away from each other, towards the new cells that they're going to be made. So anaphase, A for away, they're going to pull those chromosomes away from each other, and you're about to have two new cells. And during telophase, which is the final phase here, the chromosomes are going to be pulled to either end completely. The uh, spindle fibers will disappear, a new nuclear membrane will begin to develop and the process of cytokinesis, that final pinching of the cell to separate them, will begin. So going over the main parts of each phase, we have prophase, chromosomes condense, we get that X pattern, the pore breaks down and at either end we have those little asterisks, the centrioles. Metaphase, M for middle, chromosomes line up along the middle, the spindle fibers come out of those centrioles and pierce the centromeres, the middle of those chromosomes. Then we have anaphase, A for away. The chromosomes are pulled away from each other, about to become two new cells. And then telophase, we have those spindles breaking down. We have a new nuclear membrane forming around each cell. And then finally, we have cytokinesis, which is where the two new cells are pinched across the center and separated into two new identical cells, which is very important. Mitosis creates two new identical cells. All right, we're just going to have a quick look at meiosis now, which is different to mitosis. Meiosis is the production of gametes or sex cells, sperm, eggs, and the process is quite complex. Now, all of the things that occur during meiosis comes up later in the syllabus. So I am going to leave it for now, but just for future reference, I'm going to teach you the 
PMAT1 and PMAT2 process, which is easy to remember. All the names are the same, but some of the phases where things happen uh, are slightly different, well, are significantly different, and it will take a while to teach that. So we're going to skip over meiosis for now, but that will come up later in the podcast. All right, we're now going to go through the DNA model proposed by Watson and Crick, which includes a nucleotide composition, pairing, and bonding. So quite a bit there. Now, the story behind Watson and Crick is a very interesting one and quite a sad one, in fact. If you guys want a really good summary of the backstory, check out The Secret of Photo 51, which goes through the struggles that Rosalind Franklin had as a female um, in science and all of her data was used to build this model, but she wasn't recognized. So it is a bit of a sad one, but I think really important for this stop point. So please go and check that out. All right. Now, with the data that Watson and Crick collected, they were trying to build a 3D model of the DNA molecule. And most of you would have seen a DNA molecule by now in that double helix shape. And so if you don't know the double helix shape, it is hard for me to describe it to you. Um, You probably should just go look it up. Uh, But that double helix shape was something that actually took quite a while for them to work out. They had a triple helix. They had bases on the outside. They had a lot of mistakes until they got the data from Photo 51, which was produced by Franklin. So let's go through the structure of DNA that they proposed and all the different and intricate parts. We're going to start with the backbone. So these are the strings that run down the outside of that helix. And then we're going to talk about the middle parts, which are the main nucleotides and their composition and their pairing. So the backbone is made up of phosphates and sugar molecules. And the Phosphate, you can imagine like a little circle, is joined onto a pentagon, which is quite often how we draw the sugar, and that is a repeating pattern. So you can just remember that it is phosphate, sugar, phosphate, sugar, phosphate, sugar, and that runs the length of both both sides of that backbone. The sugar is deoxyribose, which is where the name deoxyribonucleic acid gets part of its name from. And these are nucleic acids, which is where the remaining part comes from. So those phosphates and sugars are uh, bound together and they're in a repetitive pattern over and over again. But attached to those sugars, so those pentagons, we have the bases. And there are four main bases. And it's amazing to think that our entire makeup is based on these four particular bases. No pun intended. Uh, And those are the letters represented by A, T, G, and C, which stands for adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. And each of those can be rearranged in a particular way. So with the nucleotide composition, which is part of that dot point, a nucleotide is one of those phosphates, one of those sugars, and one of the bases, A, T, G, or C. And those three components make up a single nucleotide. Now, there can be some differences between those bases. Some are what we call purines and pyrimidines. But for the most part, you don't need to know that. Just remember that a nucleotide is one phosphate, one sugar connected to one of the bases. So, with the base pairing rules, you need to remember that A always pairs with T. A always pairs with T, and G always pairs with C. Okay, so AT, GC. Remember that, AT, GC. A goes with T, G goes with C. Now, 
finally, the last point here is bonding. And once again, this is where it gets a little confusing and you need a diagram, okay? So A and T, as we've said, bond together. A goes with T, G goes with C. In your DNA, that is infinite. That goes on for every letter and they just rearrange in different combinations. A and T are bonded by two hydrogen bonds, two connecting hydrogen weak bonds that bond them together, okay? They, it, it combines them, it keeps them close to each other in this weak weak form which can be separated so they have two bonds now c and g which go together have three hydrogen bonds a triple bond and again it's a weak bond but c and g have three a and t have two so it's a good way to remember it okay c and g three a and t two so the t for two it's a nice way to remember the hydrogen bonding rule okay so just to reiterate one more time with the nucleotide composition, we have the phosphate, sugar, and base, the three components that make up a nucleotide. The pairing rules, the pairing rules are that A goes with T and G goes with C. They match up all the time when we build a DNA. A always goes with T, G always goes with C. And then finally, we have the bonding rules, okay? So remember that C and G have three, three bonds, hydrogen bonds, a and T have two, okay? And that is the basic structure of DNA that Watson and Crick proposed. Now, as they finished their model, they realized that DNA had an amazing way to copy. And this is where we're going to talk about DNA replication. Before, we spoke about the cell cycle, and I said that S, or synthesis, is where we duplicate. I'm now going to go through that process. DNA replication is making two identical new strands of DNA based on the first one. It can be called semi-conservative DNA replication because one of the strands is always going to be reused. It's going to be an older strand. So it's semi-conservative. We're conserving one and we're making a new one. Okay, so that's the idea here. Now, the process involves many enzymes and lots of different parts. So once again, I suggest you get a diagram for this one and follow along as I'm speaking. It's much easier to understand. Okay, so with DNA replication, we need to make two new ones, but we need to separate those bonds first. We just spoke about the hydrogen bonds. We need to now separate them, and we do that by unzipping the DNA strand. And this is done using an enzyme called helicase. Helicase runs down the length of the DNA, unzipping it. And this can happen at any point along the DNA, not just from the start to the end. There are lots of helicases and there are lots of parts of the DNA that are being replicated at the same time. It would be inefficient to do the entire length from start to finish. So when helicase begins to unzip that DNA strand, Two enzymes called DNA polymerase attach to either end of the unzipping strands. We call one of those strands the leading strand and we call one of them the lagging strand. We call them this because the leading strand gets copied over and over again in a repetitive fashion. This is because DNA polymerase can only work in one direction. Uh, sorry about that. It can only go from what we call the five prime to the three prime end, but don't worry too much about that right now. 
Just imagine that it goes from one direction towards the other. But it can't go in reverse. It, it can't do it in the opposite way. But logically, if you think about it, the DNA is opposites. They are complementary to each other. So on the other strand, the lagging strand, things are going to be copied in small fragments because it needs to move again in one direction. But because it's coming out the other way, it has to do it in these chunks, which we call Okazaki fragments. So imagine that the enzyme DNA polymerase is attaching to small sections, then moving off the strand, then moving to another section and copying a little bit again. And it keeps doing it over and over again um, until we get a, a number of fragments together. Then we have a process of the little bits and pieces in between being removed and the whole DNA strand gets smoothed over by DNA ligase. Okay, so those fragments um, need to be built in chunks, but that's going to leave small gaps everywhere, um, and that's a problem with DNA. And so it gets reconnected uh, by this DNA ligase. Okay, so just to reiterate, the DNA is unzipped by helicase, Helicase separates them into what we call a replication fork where they're going out in leading and lagging strands and it looks a bit like a fork. Um, the leading strand is copied one after another. Bases are attached one after another. So A matches with T and G matches with C. And on the opposing strand, the lagging strand, it is copied in small chunks called Okazaki fragments. Okay, once the Okazaki fragments have been built, they are then smoothed over by a DNA ligase. Now, while this process is happening, as I said, it happens at all different points along the chain, there are free nucleotides floating around waiting to join to the new strands that are being built. So nucleotides exist around those DNA polymerase molecules. They are drawn in and they are attached they are bonded together using those hydrogen bonds we spoke about before. Okay, so A and T have two, G and C have three, C and G have three, and those bonds then are connected together until it is the whole length of the DNA is joined, and we have two new complementary strands. And that is the end of the S phase synthesis in the cell cycle. So once S phase has ended, we have copied our DNA, we are ready for the next phase and then for mitosis. So that's DNA replication and there are some other bits you can talk about here. So if you want to go into more detail, you can look at something like RNA primase, which preps the DNA for replication. You can look at exonuclease, which takes out that RNA and the alternate DNA polymerase, which adds the remaining bits and pieces. So there is quite a bit more to this if you want to go into it. Um, just make sure you're looking at a diagram that has all, all of those components. But for the most part, that is the process, which is what they're probably going to test. All right, and just to finish off today, I want to go through the difference between DNA, chromosomes, genes, and alleles. So a new word today. So DNA is what we just spoke about, deoxyribonucleic acid. And it is made up of that sugar phosphate backbone with nucleotide pairing and bonding rules, um, that structure we've just spoken about. Now, when that condenses, when that turns into a, uh, a form where it gets all wrapped up, it becomes a chromosome. And so 
That DNA, if you imagine it like a piece of string, it wraps around these proteins called histones. And you can think of them like little yo-yos. And it wraps around one, and then it wraps around another, and then it wraps around another. And those yo-yos, those histones, all start to join together. They get very close to each other. So this is that condensing. And when enough of them condense, we get chromatin. So this is the material I was talking about before. DNA wrapped around histones all bunched up together, make chromatin, so it's still not super condensed yet. Once those coils start to loop around each other, those coils loop and loop and loop, we then get the famous chromosome X shape. So there's lots of condensing going on, and your string of DNA is wrapped up very tightly in the end in those chromosome structures. Now, you have to remember that you get half a set of chromosomes from mum and half a set of chromosomes from dad, giving you a full set of 46 chromosomes, 23 pairs. Now, because you get pairs from mum and dad, they both code for similar things. So if we take chromosome 1, for example, and chromosome 1 is the longest, which is why we call it chromosome 1, and all the way down to 22 is... Uh, the shortest, and then we have the XX or XY chromosomes that we'll talk about a bit later, which define males and females. So with our chromosome 1, our longest chromosome, if we look at a specific section on mum and dad's chromosomes, we see that on those chromosomes they have similar regions, and those regions are called genes. So I'm going to use hair colour for example today. If we look at the very top of each of those chromosomes, one from mum and one from dad, they're going to have the same region for hair colour on that chromosome. So let's just say the top of chromosome 1 is for hair colour. And both mum and dad obviously have a hair colour, and you're going to get a hair colour as well. But which hair colour you get will be defined by what individual genes they give you. So the top section of each chromosome, those gene regions, are called genes, or those regions are called genes, but because each of them can be different, mum may have blonde hair, dad may have brown hair, those alternate genes are called alleles. Alleles are alternate forms of a gene. So you have a chromosome from mum and dad. The top of each of those chromosomes codes for hair colour. They're the genes. But each of those genes can be slightly different because one may be for brown hair and one may be for blonde hair. And when we go into further details later in the syllabus, we learn about which hair colour you're most likely to have based on certain rules, dominance and recessive, codominance, incomplete dominance, and a couple others that we can mention a bit later. But if you just remember that genes are regions on the chromosomes which code for the same thing, and the alternate forms of those genes are alleles, and they can be different, different forms of the gene, that will help you to understand a lot throughout the syllabus. Okay, guys, I hope that was helpful today and you've learned something. As I said before, I'm going to play the uh, entire Julian Turner XY Cell Life song. Uh, so enjoy. Susie on the track. The DNA.
RNA starts with a one. The RNA means the other side. Meiosis is the key to making life. Mitosis copy cells about to die. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread, unwind the DNA. Prep for mitosis happens in the interphase. Then we move to prophase. Spindles start to shape. Chromatids condense as the bubble breaks down. Yeah, I'm talking membrane. Metaphase chromatids need at the heart. Anaphase chromatids are put apart. See the face forming a membrane will start. While the cell starts, the pins break apart. Cytokinesis, the cyclist through. That's when cytoplasm is split up into. Meiosis is alive, except it happens twice. And chromatids are spliced. Remember the difference is key, mitosis makes somatic sense The cells that make up all of me, except for my sex organs The half my cells take half of me, yeah The DNA starts to unwind, the RNA reads the other side Meiosis is the key to making life, mitosis copy cells about to die All my cells are dead, if my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead, yeah if my jeans go left and red, all my cells are dead, all my cells are dead. Apoptosis makes sure I don't spread. Mutations are results of genes misread. Transcription RNA polymerase. Initiates, elongates, then terminates. Translate ribosomal units. Need free amino acids just to do it. Chromosomes made of genes, makes the colors of our eyes and gives us a widow's peak. Oh, meiosis gives us variation, so we're different people. Mitosis helps us grow and replace cells when they get evil. She said, I don't know, I don't know how the cells divide and help you grow. The DNA starts to unwind, the RNA reads the other side. Meiosis is the key to making life. Mitosis copy cells about to die. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread, all my cells are dead. If my genes go left unread.